you have your Bibles, please open them to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to continue our study from there. Let's begin by reading Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You know, fear can be a really good thing. You know that? Uh, you know, God gave us fear as a, as a way of keeping us safe. Um, any of you moms out there, you have, a, have you ever had a toddler who just had no fear at all, right? I know for us, our two, kid, our two little ones, you know, they went through this stage where they had no sense of fear at all. And it was very scary, you know, it was about the time they were like one or two years old, kind of in between there. And you know, if you think about it, that's not really the best time for a person to have no fear because they're just learning to walk and they're kind of wobbly and they fall down a lot, they don't have quick reactions. So, I mean, it's kind of a, you know, perfect storm there. They're not afraid at all, but they really should be. And I remember, um, you know, that's not the kind of age when you want to take your toddler on a trip to the Grand Canyon. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the church I pastored in Hungary, we had this set of stairs. We met up on the, on the top level of a building, and we had an office downstairs, so we were always going up and down the stairs. And uh, Nate was learning to walk, and every time we took our eye off him, he was just running for the stairs he was making a break for it you know we'd get to talking and then all of a sudden we'd be like hey where's Nate and we'd like make a mad dash for the stairs and literally sometimes we'd catch him as he was falling down the stairs one time not on these stairs but on another set of stairs we actually did have to take him to the hospital the little guy had no fear and he actually hurt himself once you know uh, one time another time we uh, came back to visit the U.S. we were living in Hungary we came back to visit family Nate was around two years old, and we went to the Black Canyon of the Gunnison. And you know, that's, uh, those are the biggest cliffs in Colorado. The biggest one is 2,600 feet. You know, the average is around 2,000 feet. I mean, that's huge, right? And so Nate's walking around. There's not like even like really fences on most of these cliffs. And he's just like walking around like not at all afraid of heights, you know? And we, we actually had to lock him in the car and turn on a movie because we were afraid we we're gonna lose him off of one of these cliffs. So you get what I'm saying is that fear can be a very good thing, right? In the right measure and in the right situation. But more oftentimes what happens with us, especially as adults, is that fear becomes something in our lives that, that can and which does move beyond a, a healthy level of protection. And it becomes something in our lives which, um, which is like a dark cloud that overshadows our life and it interferes with the joys of this life. For many people, fear holds them back from enjoying the depths of love and life and relationship that God has designed for them. Fear holds people captive, it paralyzes them, it holds them back in life from experiencing many good things, many joys that God designed for them to experience. I was reading some statistics on, on anxiety and you know that 18% of adults in the United States have been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. Now that is just people who've been diagnosed. You know, that's not all the people who have them. And no matter what your opinion is of these kind of disorders, the fact is that this statistic tells us that people in general are afraid. They are full of fear. They are anxious about all kinds of stuff. And one of the most commonly held fears is the fear of rejection. 
That's not really a big surprise, I'm guessing, to any of you. You don't look shocked, like no one's taken aback. Really? People are afraid of rejection? No, seriously, they are. I'm here to tell you that today. Uh, you know, uh, it's, all of us, I think, struggle on some level with a fear of rejection. A fear that, uh, you know, well, let's put it this way. A person who doesn't care at all what other people think about them, we actually have a medical term for that. That person is called a psychopath. Actually, it's literally, that is the definition. You do not care at all what anyone thinks and you are completely self-centered. That is the definition of a psychopath. But of course, there are a ton of other commonly held fears out there. Not just the fear of rejection, but also say, for example, the fear of death is one of the most common. Oddly enough, in surveys, uh, consistently at the top of the greatest fears, of course, is the fear of death, but that usually comes in number two. You guys know what the number one fear that people have is in surveys? Public speaking, that's right. And there's actually a, uh, a term for this. I guess there's a real phobia that they've, you know, coined a phrase for. They call it glossophobia. Glossophobia is the fear of public speaking. This is the number one fear amongst Americans who have been polled. Death comes in number two, right? People would rather die in a fiery inferno than have to stand in front of a group of people and talk. And that's kind of odd, right? Because the question, what, what is so terrible about speaking in public? What is so terrifying about it? We're all talking all the time. What's the difference if you're talking in front of a larger group of people? And here's the thing. The thing that makes public speaking scary it's basically the fact that everybody's looking at you, right? That's obvious. But here's the thing. We all know that we have flaws. We all know that we have faults. We're aware of them. But when a lot of people are looking at us, guess what? We're somewhat afraid that they're going to realize the faults and flaws that we have, right? They're going to see my lazy eye, you know? They're going to see how fat I am. And, and they're going to, maybe I'll say something wrong or I'll stutter through it. And then they won't like what I say. And whatever the reason is, they will reject me. And when you speak to a crowd, it, it, the reason it's scary is because you run the risk of mass rejection, right? When you talk to one person, maybe they'll reject you. But when you talk to a lot of people, they might just all reject you, right? And that's uh, frightening for people. So here's what God's word has to say about fear. In 1 John 4, we read this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment or retribution. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. What the Apostle Paul was, was telling us repeatedly here in Galatians, what we've been studying week in and week out, is that the gospel is a message of grace. In that message of grace is a message of love which sets us free from fear. And if you really take hold of the gospel message, it will set you free from fear in all the areas of your life. For example, the gospel sets us free from the fear of death. You know, a person who does not have the hope of eternal life, a person who believes that this life is it and then they're done, that means that for that person, the pleasures of this life, the good things of this life, that's as good as it will ever get. But for a person who does have the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ, because they've placed their hope in him as their salvation, guess what? For them, the sorrows of this life are as bad as it will ever get. And there's that hope that we have of eternal life, it sets us free from the fear of death. Paul says this about the resurrection that we have in Christ. He says this, in Christ, death has been swallowed up in victory. 
How great is that? Death has been swallowed up in victory. And he says, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? That's hard to say. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews puts it this way. It says that through his death, Jesus destroyed the power of death so that he might deliver those who through fear of death have been subject to slavery for their whole life. Paul was a man who truly believed the gospel. One of the evidences of the fact that he truly believed the gospel is that he was a man who was not afraid of death. In Philippians chapter 1, you, you, maybe some of you know this verse. You know, it says, Paul says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he goes on to say, I'm hard-pressed between the two. He says, I'm kind of torn. Which one would I really want? Do I want to continue living or would I rather just be with the Lord? He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But I remain in the flesh because it's necessary for your account. In Acts chapter 20, one of my personal, you know, my life verses, one of these verses which the Lord used when he was leading me to Hungary as a missionary, you know, um, 11, 12 years ago, is in Acts chapter 20. Paul was at the end of his third missionary journey, and he met with the elders of the church in Ephesus, and he's saying goodbye to them. And essentially, they know that they will never see each other again. It says they were weeping and crying, but here's what Paul tells them. It's, it's very profound. He says, Behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And that brings up a whole other area where the gospel sets us free from fear. The gospel sets us free from the fear of pain and trials and difficulties in this life. Paul says, look, I'm going to Jerusalem and I know, you know what's going to be there for me? I know what I'm going to face. I'm going to face pain and trials and difficulties. Well, then why are you going? Well, because this is what God called me to do. And these things don't move me because this is where God wants me to be. My life has no value except to fulfill the purpose and glorify God. He says this, the gospel sets me free from the fear of pain and trials and difficulties. The gospel message is not only that God has saved us in Christ, but that he has made us his family. He has adopted us. He has become our father. And as our father, he promises that he will use everything, everything in our lives, even the pain and the trials and the difficulties, even the difficult things, he will use those things for our ultimate good and for his ultimate glory. He promises to work all things according to his purposes. And what that means for you and I is that we can be free from the fear of pain. We can be free from the fear of trials and difficulties in our lives because we know that we have a good and loving Father. A Father who providentially rules this universe and is working all things, even the terrible things, for our good and for his glory. That's what we've been studying about in the story of Joseph, which we studied at the beginning of this year. So the gospel is able to set us free from fear of trials and difficulties, fear of pain. Furthermore, here's another one. The gospel sets us free from the fear of rejection. The gospel is that in Christ, you are both fully known and fully loved. 
You know, most people would believe, they would accept this, they would believe that they can be either fully known or fully loved, right? Because if you were to get to know me fully and you would see all my flaws and all my sins and all my shortcomings, you probably wouldn't love me. The only way that you will love me, at least this is the way the line of thinking goes, the only way that you will be able to love me is if you don't fully know me. And you know what that causes people to do? It causes people to hide. Hide from other people. Hide from, you know, hide themselves. Mask themselves. They will hide because they fear that if you were to fully know them, that you would reject them. You would not love them. And, and that's what we talked about earlier, essentially, you know, talking about the fear of public speaking. At the root of it is this fear of mass rejection, of people seeing and realizing your flaws and rejecting you. Most people believe that they can be either fully known or fully loved, but not both. But here's the message of the gospel, that God knows you fully. He knows you better than you even know yourself. He knows every single one of your faults, everything you've ever done, every thought, every impure thought you've ever had. And you know what? In spite of that, he loves you. And he doesn't just love you a little bit. He loves you completely. He loves you fully with an everlasting love, an unending love. And if you really get that, if you really get that, that God knows you fully and yet he loves you fully, then you know what it does? It helps you. It makes you able to be comfortable in your own skin. Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't you love to be comfortable in your own skin? Because what that means is that you're able to acknowledge your failures. You're able to acknowledge your shortcomings rather than trying to hide them because God already knows them. It's not hidden, it's, it's not hidden before him. He knows them, but yet in spite of that, he loves you fully. And this knowledge that we have been loved and accepted by God, it enables us to no longer desperately seek and desperately need the approval of men. Here's another one. The gospel sets us free from the fear of failure. How many people are held back in life by the fear of failure? I'm going to step out and I'm going to fail. I'm going to mess it all up and then my life will be terrible, right? If you really believe the gospel, then for you, the future is hopeful. It is eternally hopeful. The Bible says that in light of the vastness and endlessness of eternity, this life is but a fleeting mist. It's like the Bible says that it's like a, a mist that appears for a moment and then is gone. I said earlier that for persons who are for people who hope, who, their hope is in the gospel, they have the hope of eternal life. For them, the difficulties of this life are as bad as it will ever get. But for us who have hope in eternal life, the joys of this life, uh, did I mess that up? Yeah, I did. Okay, so for people who don't have hope, in eternal life the joys of this life are as good as it will ever get but for us who have the hope of eternal life the sorrows of this life are as bad as it will ever get I recently saw this video you guys know there's this catchphrase you know YOLO you only live once right so I saw this video it was like a parody music video and it was making fun of this uh, this trend you know YOLO and and so the song was about hey you only live once so make sure you don't take any risks because you only live once right because you, this life's all you got so don't go outside because you could get hurt and stay away from people because they've got germs and watch out for stairs because you could die you know don't take any risks because you only live once right that was you know it was funny so the message of the gospel is that uh that you, if you put your faith in Christ, 
then this life is not the only life that you will ever have. This life is only a dim shadow of the glory that awaits us in heaven. And if that is the case, which I'm telling you it is, God's word says that it is, then that sets you free to be bold. It sets you free to be courageous and confident in life. Because if you fail at something, well then guess what? You're going to live forever, so who cares, right? We're going to live forever. So you can be bold, you can be confident to take risks, to be uh, courageous in this life. Because you know what? Both the failures and the successes, even the successes of this life, they are momentary. They are fleeting. So I don't have to let the fear of failure paralyze me. The gospel sets me free from the fear of failure. Another one, and here's, here's how I'll finish with this set of list, this list here. The gospel sets us free from the fear of condemnation. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The reason we do not have to fear condemnation is because in Christ we have been justified. We have been made righteous. We don't have to justify ourselves. We have been justified. We don't have to prove that we're worthy. We have been declared worthy of his grace in Christ. The message of the gospel gives us confidence in life and confidence in death that nothing else can. And the reason for that is because the message of the gospel is that our justification is something which is outside of ourselves. Do you know that? Your justification is something which is outside of you. It is in Christ. It's not something that you've earned or deserved. It's not dependent on you. It is a finished work that's been given to you as a gift. Here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 5, we read this. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now what's interesting is that in Greek, this word which we translate as hope, it means more than what the English word for hope means. Right? The Greek word for hope means a powerful assurance in the certainty of something. In English, you know, hope means maybe, but we don't know, right? So when you read the Bible, that can cause some problems because when you read something that's supposed to say, you have assurance in this, we read it and we're like, well, it seems like it's kind of up in the air. So what's being said here in Galatians 5 is that the, we have this great unshakable assurance of our salvation, of our right standing before God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that brings us back to where we started, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The gospel sets us free from bondage to fear because we are righteous in Christ. We have been accepted. We have been forgiven. We have been justified. We've been saved. It's done. Jesus declared, it is finished. But here's the thing. Some people hear this message, and you know what? It actually worries them. They hear this message of freedom in Christ and it worries them because they wonder if you tell people that they are free in Christ, if you set them free from fear as a motivating factor in their life, then they will have no incentive to live a holy life. If you tell people that they're free in Christ, that they are justified in him because of what he did in spite of their sins, they will become Christians gone wild, right? They'll go out and think they can just do whatever they want. And it, and it has been this fear that, it, that if people are really set free by the gospel from fear, um, that they will, 
have no more motivation to go to church or to pay tithes or to uh, read their Bibles or to seek God or be Christians at all. And it has been this fear over the centuries that has led churches to try to tone down the message of the gospel. Kind of just take it down a level, all right? You know, tone it down because uh, we need to trade a little bit of this Christian freedom for the bondage of legalism because if we don't, we're going to end up with Christians gone wild. But that's why this passage that we're studying today is such an important one because the message of this passage is this, that if a person really gets the gospel, then that freedom from fear that the gospel gives them, it will actually lead people to love God and obey God more than legalism ever could. And that's kind of ironic, right? It's a little bit backwards to the normal way that we think. But that's what it's saying, that if you really get the gospel, it will cause you to obey more. What legalism does is it tries to legislate good works. I'll say that again. What legalism does is that it tries to legislate good works. It it makes a walk of love with God or love in God into a set of obligation. You ever found like a really good restaurant, right? When you find a really good restaurant, at least I don't know about you, but me, when I find a really good restaurant, I want to go out and I want to tell everybody about it, right? I want to tell them about the good experience that I had there, how great it was, and that they should check it out too. Well, imagine if the owner of that restaurant, he heard about all the praise that you were giving his restaurant. And so he came and he found you and said, I'm really glad that you like my restaurant. That's great. Since you liked it so much, I'm now going to require you to tell people about it. It's going to make that a five-person minimum per week. You've got to tell people about how great my restaurant is. And if you don't do it, I'm going to kill your dog. All right. Well, that kind of changes the feeling of it, doesn't it? It kind of, it's a little bit different now. It kind of changes the tone. Yeah, you know, because probably you would do it, but the reason you do it has now changed completely, right? It's because you, uh, you know, you're trying to keep your dog alive, not because you're just exuberant, right? The point is when it becomes this obligation with this like threat of retribution, it becomes this this thing filled with fear and uneasiness. You might do it, but the why you do it, the heart behind why you do it, has changed completely. That's what legalism is. And and you might say this, well, I can see why legalism, why people would teach legalism, because, you know, it kind of controls people and makes them do what they want. But why would anyone choose to be legalistic? Because really what we're reading about here in Galatians is a group of people who believed in the gospel of grace and they chose legalism over grace. Why would anybody do that, you might wonder? Well, let me give you two reasons why people like legalism. Number one, legalism gives you the illusion of control. Legalism gives you the illusion of control. If you think it's all about you, then you're in control. If you want something from God, then you are able to get it by earning it, by doing, you know, step one, two, three, four, five. If you do these things, you believe that you can merit God's favor in your life. You can merit answered prayers. You can earn these things. Number two, here's another reason why people like legalism, because legalism gives you a sense of superiority. The legalistic person believes that Of course God loves everybody, but that's probably just because he has to, because it's kind of like a rule. If you're God, you have to love everybody. But I'm sure that even though he loves all of you, he likes me a lot better, right? Because of all the stuff I do, because of how well I perform. But here's the thing. Legalism is a double-edged sword. 
The very same things that make legalistic person feel proud of themselves and feel great about themselves, those are the exact same things which will plunge them into deep despair and depression. Because if it's all about them, then what happens when things go wrong? Because they will. Well, they, they conclude, well, if it's all about me, well, it must be because I blew it. I forgot to pray that one morning for two hours, you know. I blew it. I wasn't good enough. I sinned. It's my fault that things aren't better. It's my fault that my problems are not being resolved because God won't bless me unless I do all these things for him. That's why you see the people who struggle with legalism, these are the same people who have this roller coaster experience. You ever seen these people, right, where they're like super intense Christians one day, they're like reading their Bible like four hours a day and they got to quit their job because they're staying up every night to pray and, you know, it's like, just like, they're so intense, right? And then you meet them like three months later and you're like, hey, where you been? They're like, yeah, I'm not even a Christian anymore. I've just decided to just go out and just go for it. I'm just partying and, you know, living the life and everything. You're like, what happened? You know, just like, you were so intense. Well, here's why. You know, they, they, they show up again in church. They're intense again. It's, it's up high, down low, roller coaster experience. Why? They don't really get the gospel, right? The gospel sets you free from these things. You know, our, our human nature is, is naturally drawn towards legalism. And I told you why just now, why it's it's uh, attractive to some people. And that's why Paul says here, he says, stand firm. That's interesting, right? He says, it's for freedom that Christ set you free. Now stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's actually a military term in, in the original language. Stand firm. It means be vigilant, be on watch. Do not let yourself fall into legalistic tendencies. You've been set free from that stuff. Don't go back into it because it's human. It's not of God. It's not the gospel. In fact, it's the opposite of the gospel. And that's why Paul says in verse 4, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. And to these Galatians who had turned from the gospel of grace and had chosen legalism to try to justify themselves before God, Paul says this in verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Paul's saying this, be vigilant, be vigilant, stand firm. I almost said village in there. Be vigilant, stand firm. Don't even allow a little bit of legalism into your Christian life because it's like leaven. You know what leaven is? It's actually a bacterial fungus. And what that means is that it infects, right? That's why it spreads. It multiplies, it infects. And this is interesting because throughout the Bible, legalism, or I'm sorry, uh, leaven is used as a picture of sin. You remember back in Exodus when they had to, um, they had the Passover, they had to take out all the leaven from their house. Why? Because leaven is a picture of sin. Throughout the Bible, Jesus speaks of it that way as well. And here though, Paul the Apostle uses this word leaven, which everywhere else is referring to sin, and he uses it to speak of legalism. Now that's a bit surprising, right? Because, you know, you wonder, he's using this term which is regularly referred to in terms of sin, and he's using it to refer to things which are, you know, actually good things, right? You know, pleasing God. That's a good thing, right? And the question is, how can good things actually be bad things? And here's how. Um, 
he answers that question in verse 6. He said, there's nothing wrong, if you got it, read along with me. I'm going to paraphrase here. He says, there's nothing wrong with getting circumcised. That was the legalism of their day. They believed that God would not accept them unless they were circumcised. I heard one uh, commentator I read, he said, those must have been some pretty convincing false teachers, you know, if they were able to convince people to do that. But he, he's essentially saying this, that there's nothing wrong with getting circumcised. The question is, why are you getting circumcised? If you want to go out and get circumcised just for fun, go for it. But if you're getting circumcised in order to justify yourself before God, to win God's favor, then that is wrong, okay? So the same thing goes for anything else. In our lives, you know, circumcision is not such a big issue. But, but here's, here's, you know, you could take it into any other area. The question isn't, what you do the question is why you do it and we should be vigilant against any kind of legalism infiltrating our relationship with God and we might want you maybe you wonder what does that mean what does that look like in my life I read my Bible religiously right I read it every day should I stop doing that is that some kind of legalism should I stop tithing is that legalistic here's the answer to the question the answer is no you shouldn't stop doing those things you should continue doing those things but what you need to search your heart about is why you do those things because nothing in itself right all these things are neutral in and of themselves the question is why do you do it the thing is neutral. The question is, why do you do it? If you read your Bible because you believe that by doing so, you will earn God's favor, then stop doing that, but don't stop reading your Bible, right? You get what I'm saying? Uh, it's not the what that needs to change. It's the why. And that's what Paul says down in verses 13 and 14. He says, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here's what he's saying. He's saying you are free in Christ. But what should that freedom lead you to do? Should it lead you to licentiousness, to go out and, and sin a whole bunch? No, and he says actually it should do just the opposite. The, the truth of the gospel should actually spur you on to fulfill the law of God. And how crazy is that? Because for so long right now, he's been saying, you're free from the law. You're free from the law. Now he says, now go on out there and fulfill the whole law. Right? Here's what he's saying. It's not the what that needs to change. It's the why. And what is the what? The what is living for God. It's the why you do it that needs to be examined. It's either going to be one of two things. Either you do it because you're trying to justify yourself by your own goodness and win God's favor. Or you do it because you are responding to God's amazing grace. You are responding because you've been moved by how much he loved you and how much he saved you and adopted you into his family and has given you hope and life. In other words, you don't do it so that he will bless you, but you do it because he has blessed you. If any of you know who Ron Swanson is, here's a quote from him. It says, there are only three ways to motivate people, money, fear, and hunger. That's not from the Bible, by the way. Man-made religion, which is what legalism is, you know what it does? It motivates people with fear and pride. 
Think about that. It motivates people with fear and pride. The gospel, on the other hand, it doesn't call you to abandon living for God. You know what it does? It it tells you that you should obey God. You should obey the law of God uh, because of the love that he's shown you. The motivation is different. The motivation is a dynamic of love because of what he has done for you. The gospel of God's grace, it is a message of love which sets us free from fear, sets us free to worship and live for God because of all that he's done for us. That's good news, amen? Let's stand and pray. Right now we're gonna take communion. We do this every Sunday and and the reason we take communion is to remember Christ's body broken for us, his blood shed for us on the cross of Calvary. That is our justification. So I encourage you as you do that, as you consider again the gospel in these tangible forms, I pray that it would move you to live for God and that it wouldn't be the what that changes, but it would be the why. And in fact, this, what he has done for you would spur you on in an even greater way to live for him. Let's pray. And Lord Jesus, we come to you and we thank you for what you did for us on the cross. Lord, we thank you for your body broken for us. We thank you for your blood shed for us. We thank you that your blood covers a multitude of sins. Lord, it washes us clean. It makes us pure. By our sins, we we were red as scarlet, but Lord, you have made us white as snow by your blood. Thank you for that. Lord, thank you that in your body, you took upon yourself all of our sins. And as we remember this, as we remember the gospel, Lord, we respond to you in worship, in how we leave from this place and live our lives from, for you. And we do all of that in Jesus' name, amen.